Are you an overwhelmed SaaS founder ready to make the leap from leading a team to leading an organization? Join us each week as we refill your think tank with actionable tips and strategies from great business minds you know and those you don't know yet. This is SaaS Fuel with your host, five-time entrepreneur, SaaS founder, and globetrotting adventurer, Jeff Maines. Welcome back to the SaaS Fuel podcast, where beauty is in the eye of the beer holder. I'm your host, Jeff Maines. I help B2B SaaS founders like you scale up and exit, create an incredible valuation, social impact, and enjoy freedom that many of us became entrepreneurs for in the first place. Well, we have a really fun episode today. Did you know that today, back in 1935, the first canned beer was ever sold? Kruger Cream Ale, they were the first. Pabst was the second brewer in the same year to sell beer in cans. Of course, it wasn't like the cans of today with pop tops. It actually required a can opener. And motor oil did in those days too. Since this was a a new concept, it came with a picture on the side of the can opener and opening instructions. Can you imagine that? Grab the thing that you use to put oil in your car and open a drink. Why not? You know, sounds kind of like the early days of SaaS. Open that browser and put my data where? Do what? Am I leasing the software or am I buying it? But, uh, you know, in those days, it was data centers and ASP before there even was such a thing as a, a cloud. It was one of those things. Sometimes we'd put them on a diagram, but people didn't know what that meant. It just meant it was somewhere else. You know, might as well have been beer can openers that we put on there sometimes. But the industry has come a long, long way. And our guest today is helping the brewing industry make huge leaps as well. Today's episode is sponsored by Champion Leadership Group. Get free growth tools and map out a game plan to scale your SaaS business to 10, 20, 50 million and beyond. Travel with fellow SaaS entrepreneurs on your growth journey using a proven methodology that is mentor-guided, results-focused, and peer-supported. Celebrate wins and quickly rebound from setbacks to achieve profitable growth, premium valuation, and freedom. Learn more and unleash your SaaS growth at championleadership.com. Last week, we talked with Alexis Scott. She shared sales, marketing, and recruiting tips along with her deep experience in the SaaS community. You know, my favorite thing in her episode was just her marketing creativity to break through the noise and stand out to prospects. Something that all of us try to do, and she's done a fantastic job at that. So super valuable insights. If you find yourself saying, you know, if I could just get in front of more people, this is the episode for you. If you missed it, go back, listen to it uh, right after this one. Just drop it in the queue. And our founder last week was Ted Elliott, CEO of Capato, the number one DevOps platform for Salesforce. Multiple SaaS companies, multiple exits, and great insights on the journey. So another great episode to add to the queue if you missed it. My guest this week is Pulkit Agarwal, or PK, founder and CEO of The Fifth Ingredient. PK is a founder who has gone small to get big. Some of you recognize that phrase from my book, to get big, go small, right? Well, PK is laser focused on the brewery niche, and more specifically, craft brewing. His SaaS is called Beer 30. It's a fantastic name, isn't it? I just love that. And it brings big brewery capabilities, precision, and data science to power some of the best craft brews today. It's time to crack open a cold one with innovator, disruptor, and champion of quality, PK. Hey, Pulkit. Welcome to SaaS Fuel. 
Hey, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Really looking forward to being here. So is it beer 30 right now? It's always beer 30 <laughs> here at the fifth ingredient. I love that. Well, tell me a little about the, the fifth ingredient, where you came from, and how does a mechanical engineer from Harvard end up in the brewing industry? <laughs> yeah, so um, I actually was recruited by Ballast Point Brewing, uh, which was the one of the, the top 20 largest breweries in the United States for craft beer um, during my senior year of high school, uh, senior year of college. And <laughs> high um, school would be a little early. <laughs> yeah, it would be <laughs> um, senior year of college. And so I ended up moving out to San Diego and working as a process engineer, really focusing on bottling, canning, kegging lines and really helping out with the expansion into Virginia and running their entire like nitrogen beer production program. And um, during that time, really had a good time in the brewing industry. And basically, I wanted to travel. And so because of that, I figured it'd be cool to start my own consulting company. And that's really where the fifth ingredient came from, with the idea that the four ingredients in beer are water, grains, hops and yeast. And the fifth ingredient is data. And so everything really was focused in on how do we help? How do I help breweries? use their data platforms and data to understand how to brew more and brew better and really quickly realized as I went to different breweries to try and do consulting that they would give me a binder or they would give me pieces of paper or spreadsheets and I'm like there's no consistency and it's very difficult to try and consult without having a central source of truth and so that's when I kind of started looking at the idea well what if there is a source of truth and that's where beer 30 came from. And it came from this idea of, well, it's beer 30, it's drinking time. We, at Ballast Point, you say 2.30, 3.30, beer 30 kind of thing. And <laughs> really utilized that and just ran with it to build up this beta version of a software system called Beer 30 that was designed to help a brewery start tracking their process data. And since then, it's grown to do everything from grain to glass tracking, the entire supply chain management, feature demand planning, forecasting, full traceability, things like that. So really focused in on this idea of I want to consult to now having a company that's focused in on brewery data management. I love that story. And that happens a lot where service companies go and they create a, a tool. And I think yours is, is fantastic. I mean, it is, is really, uh, in, in a lot of ways, revolutionized the craft beer industry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's game changing. And the, the biggest thing that I'd point out with that, right, is that a lot of manufacturing industries, um, comparatively, are far beyond where the craft beer industry is. And this is where something like Beer 30 really helps out because you have people that are coming from a home brewing background. You have people that are like PhDs that have like literally rocket scientists, things like that, that are just passionate about brewing. And then you also have people that are very successful at other businesses that maybe they've sold a different tech company or something and are now using this as their second career, next career kind of thing. And Beer 30 allows everybody to have this equitable platform that helps them really focus on their business and really focus on the brewing process. So it becomes that aspect of what tools can we provide to really elevate that industry to the next level. And so these are all things that, of course, we all think about when we crack open a cold one is, uh, you know, the, the data and the process behind it, right? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> it's so fascinating. Uh, up until... Like I actually did a tour of Ballast Point. I never realized the science and engineering that goes into brewing and manufacturing and production. Like when you just literally are down the street opening up a can of beer or, or bottle, you're just drinking it, having a good time. But when you start looking at the quality checks, the science, the consistency, and this applies well beyond beer. It's in coffee. It's in juice. It's yep. any food manufacturing, anything, just the consistency and 
the the ins and outs that go into it from an engineering perspective, oh, it's it's so exciting. It's a lot more sophisticated, a lot more advanced than most people would think. Absolutely, yeah. So a, a lot of science. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the way I think about it is like brewing beer is the combination of art and science, and both have to go hand in hand, and that's really what makes the beer makes any manufacturing the art and science that combine together. So was the catalyst behind building the fifth ingredient in beer 30, was that really to make the consulting piece easier or was Mm -hmm. it something that the brewers knew they needed, but just didn't know where to go? Um, I, so it originally started off with this idea, well, let's build this to make the consulting piece easier. But honestly, at this point, the system has become this aspect of this monthly recurring software as a service that's there that maybe looking into 2023 roadmap, we may start getting into that consulting side of things. But it's become this aspect that brewers just love having a central source of truth that eliminates all these paper logs, whiteboards, and spreadsheets and puts all the data set together. And that's really where this comes from. So it's something that I don't think they need that they needed. And even with competitors out there, we just decided to approach it from the brewer first brewer perspective that was just game changing for all of these different um, breweries out there. So how receptive have they been to using more and more technology in their processes? I think over the years, what I've seen is that when we first started with this, it was pretty much the early adopters, right? The ones that were like, oh, this is super exciting. Like, I believe in your vision. Let's go with that kind of thing. To present day, we're, we're in over 14 different countries. We have um, well over 300 breweries that are using the platform. And I think that as the name becomes more standard, brewers know, oh, there's Beer 30 that's out there. The goal is to make them far more receptive. And the goal is that Beer 30 is the standard brewery management system that all breweries are using, right? And like, that's the eventual goal. And I think the receptiveness really comes in when you start showing them the ROI of the platform, when you start showing them the ways that it saves them time and money and energy and really removes those silos between the brewing team, the sales team, the finance team, the um, leadership team, and gives them full visibility that the brewers that get it right away, oh, they're like bought in and they love it. And there are still others that you got to convince them like this is the path forwards you want to go down this path. It just takes time and just takes more demos and just takes getting buy-in from top down to say, yeah, we're all in. And you've expanded out of just beer. You've got Bucha 30 as well. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so tell me a little bit about that. And what was the thought process behind the, the expansion and moving into to something that's definitely a related industry? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so... We actually um, had a, brew, a kombucherie out of California that we were working with as a client in Beer 30. And they approached us and were like, hey, you know, you do all this with um, beer. Bucha isn't that different. Kombucha, there are some nuances that tie in with scobies and harvesting and pitching and things. Can you do something about that? And we thought about it and we're like, yeah, this could actually be really cool and a really good way to like change things up. And so... That's where Kombucha 30 was born with the idea that, well, we're 80% there and Kombucha, we could be very unique in the way we do our brewing process with beer already, that Kombucha would be just a new step forwards in that entire equation. And so that's really where the whole Kombucha 30 side came about. And I think in present day, that's like what I would qualify, like that was a really cool product that we did launch, but our main focus is really in the beer world right now and trying to do what we can on the beer side. But who knows? I mean, in the future, we could do something like Mead 30 or Cider 30 or Spirits 30 or things like that. But it it all fundamentally comes down to, well, let's get Beer 30 penetrated in the market and then let's start going on these other um, adventures, side quests to get into these other industries and verticals. 
Well, beer is certainly the the biggest market of those, mm -hmm. uh, at least yeah. at present. Yeah, exactly. I think what we realized looking back in the kombucha space was that that's a space that's just ramping up. And there's a lot of similar to how maybe 15 years ago in the beer space, there were just so many home brewers that were starting to build production facilities. Kombucha is now getting into that trend of now building those facilities. And like in probably the next two to three years, we're going to start seeing more of that happen. Right. But it's still behind where it's a lot of home brewer equivalencies of like people that are working out of their garage with like one gallon jugs, one gallon kombucha, things like that, where it's not necessarily for scale as much. There are obviously the bigger ones that are out there that we all know that are throughout the U.S., things like that. But it's a, it's a cool process of thinking about what's going to come down the road from the kombucha side as well. So how do you manage that, uh, your, your overall roadmap and, uh, and the market, you know, where it's going? How do you stay ahead of that with technology? That's a great question. So what's really fascinating about this is that as a company, up until um, about February of this year, so February 2022, I was basically in charge of all the product side of things. And um, now my business partner and co-founder has taken on the role of chief technology and product officer, CTPO. And so he has his engineers and product people that are now working on it. But effectively as a whole, it's basically an internal algorithm that we're using to weigh out what's coming from the market, right? And so what it really comes down to is understanding, well, one, the product requests that are coming through, how big is the client that's asking for this, right? Is it a small brewery? Is it a really big brewery? Because those have different implications when it comes to feature requests and who you really focused in on in terms of your target segment. Sure. Then it gets into how many other clients have requested this. Right. If you have a functionality that's uh, or a feature request that only two or three have requested versus something where you have 15, 20, 30 of your customers are like, hey, we need something like this. That definitely changes that weight of the product roadmap side of thing. Then you get into really, is this a showstopper or nice to have? And so that becomes a very key fundamental area to look at of are we thinking that there are workarounds or other ways that somebody can approach the solution? Or is this kind of a deal breaker where they can't really do some fundamental aspects of the system? And then I think the key variable that ties in with that is, well, are there low-hanging fruits? Can we roll this out in multiple phases where we somewhat address some of those areas and then do other iterations down the road? And then finally, are these specific enough where a client wants to pay for it? and turn this into a custom module versus this is a global thing for our product roadmap. And so I think it's those five variables that we start aggregating together to really understand what it is that we want to do from a feature request perspective. So what has been one of the most surprising things uh, to you about the industry and in, in this journey of building the software for it? Honestly, I think it's been the community aspect of it. Um, the, the craft brewing industry is very, um, very tight knit. And I think one of the key things about it is that word of mouth travels just so fast in this industry because people are shifting between different breweries. They're going from point A to point B. They're jumping around, things like that, that that word of mouth is so interconnected. And so for me, it's fascinating. Like there's a Facebook group called Craft Group Professionals. And in that group, for us to really be able to see the impact that we're having, where other people start when somebody asks, hey, what are you using from a brewery software perspective? Our customers, other people are the ones saying, hey, check out Beer 30, right? And so it's that aspect now where when we go to conferences, I'm more excited about meeting our current customers and grabbing a beer with them and chatting with them than necessarily focused on the sales aspect of it. Because we have other people and other, other people that are focused, their job is sales. 
And my job now is really to focus in on building that community. And we have a Facebook group called Beer 30 Legends and things like that. And so it's all about, for me, the most surprising thing is just how receptive this community has been to buying in on this change, buying on this aspect of having a central source of truth and having a system that's helping them track from grain to glass and just believing in what we're setting out to accomplish and really, really feeling for it. And I think that's really interesting. It's not just the supply chain. It's not just manufacturing. It's, it's the entire thing all the way through, you know, including sales and distribution. And it's, it's the, the whole thing. Yeah. Is that the way that it started? Did you have that vision originally or did it grow to that? Not at all. It grew to that. <laughs> um, like if we look at like the version one of the software coming from a process engineering background, version one of the software was only focused in on brewing, fermenting, filtering, uh, conditioning and bright tank and packaging. So effectively the core functionality of a beer and what happens in the process perspective. And then quickly you start running into at the very beginning of the signal to noise ratio of people giving you feedback, consistently getting into the mindset of, oh, well, a lot of people are asking for raw material inventory of tracking that what goes into a beer. Cool. Oh, a lot of people are asking tracking the finished products and the sales side and what goes into that. And so they've packaged the beer off. Now they want to sell it in the system. Oh, people are now asking for now making a sales order or purchase order. I need to integrate that with either QuickBooks Online or Zero from an accounting perspective. Oh, people now have the finished products. Now they're asking for, well, can I take that and feed that into my material resource planning and future demand planning? So it's like this constant iteration of what I originally thought was just going to be on the bring process and quality to now going full supply chain from raw materials. Where are people getting these items from? All the way to the brewing process, sales and distribution accounting, and then linking that right back up with future planning. So basically the entire supply chain loop from grain to glass. So what is one of the, the big misconceptions about the brewing industry that's not true? I think a very interesting thing that I have learned over the years of being in the craft beer industry, right, is that uh, two things come to mind with that. So the first thing is when I was in San Diego and I was at Ballast Point, Stone Brewing was our biggest competitor, right? And they were just as large, if not, I think, a little bit larger than us at that time. And during the first week, my boss was like, hey, let's schedule you out to go to Stone to check out their brewing and packaging equipment. And I was like, wait, but they're a competitor. And the thought there was, yeah, they're a competitor, but we're all in this like craft beer space that's there. And so it was super interesting where the idea was, well, these craft brewers are working together to change the industry from like the Anheuser-Busch's, the Miller's, right. the those types of big beer kind of the ideas, giants. right? The giants, yeah. And so it was fascinating to me that my boss is telling me in the first week of working there, hey, let's go have you go to our biggest competitor in the area and go meet them and, and, and that camaraderie aspect, right? So I think that was super fascinating about the conception, like these breweries are like competing with one another but they are competing to a certain extent, but they also have this element of camaraderie that's super interesting. Um, and I think the other aspect that comes down with this is when looking at it from like the big beer perspective, I think a misconception that I always had coming from craft beer was, okay, I may not like the flavor profile of a Bud Light, for example, or a Natty Light or a PBR or something like that. That's just not my style uh, of beer. But it was actually when I went to go visit an Anheuser-Busch facility in St. Louis and actually take a tour that I had such a newfound respect for the consistency, 
the product quality, the engineering that happens. Because I have had to, you know, try and optimize a packaging line at Ballast Point to run 400 cans per minute. And you walk into the Anheuser-Busch facility there and they have a canning line that's doing 1,600 cans per minute. And you're just like that, that element of, I know what it's like to have to try and run a 400 can per minute filler. Wow. Having somebody do 1600, it's just game changing. You're just like, whoa, like newfound respect completely, where even if you don't necessarily agree with the beer or the taste of the beer or have your own preferences, everybody has their own flavor profile. But just the engineering and science that goes into that, even at that scale, that you know it goes through so many blending and quality checks that when you crack that open, it's going to have passed literally hundreds of checkpoints to make sure that it's a consistent product. And I think those are the two ideas that come to mind that are, I think are misconceptions about like the industry being very competitive and they are, but they're also very, com- com- uh, very collaborative and doing collab brews and things like that. And getting into the idea that, oh, well, big beer is not the key, but it's like, yeah, big beer has so many awesome quality aspects and things that we can learn from and try and mimic that. It's just very fascinating. So what have been the biggest lessons you've learned as an entrepreneur in, in pursuing this venture? There's a lot. I mean, looking back, there's a full list that I can probably put together and could write a blog piece of like the 20 biggest takeaways or things like <laughs> that. Um, the first one that comes to mind is that you're going to meet a bunch of people that are super excited about your product, but until they're willing to actively pay for the product or put money behind it, it's just a bunch of noise, right? And I think that's one of the big takeaways that I learned initially. And I've like always believed in that, that a deal is not finalized until the money hits my bank account, company's bank account, right? Like a lot can change with somebody being so excited on a phone call, even signing a contract to then not paying and starting the subscription, right? And so it's kind of one of those aspects where you quickly realize that People have excitement and things, but as an entrepreneur, it's your goal to understand the signal to noise between what's going on and being able to really focus in on picking out those key aspects and those nuggets of information and synthesis, uh, uh, taking out those uh, nuggets of pieces of information and focusing on those people that really believe in it and are willing to pay for that product. Right. So I think that's like one key takeaway. And then the other big takeaway that comes from this as well over the years is learning how to synthesize all this information and trying to figure out what exactly is it that you want to do. And I think that's actually been one of the reasons why we've been successful at the rate that we have is focused in on all these breweries are giving us feedback. Well, let's start synthesizing it and coming up with, this is what we need to do for a phase one rollout. This is a phase two and a phase three and kind of working from there on things. That's really good. Some good, really good lessons. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. What are some of the, the processes that, uh, that you've pioneered or most proud of in, uh, in brewing your software? Or any special projects that you've worked on? Yeah, I think, you know, based on the, the feedback from customers, Beer 30 is very much focused on the brewer first and the brewing process first. And I think that's what really sets us apart from the other competitors in the industry is that with that in mind, We've come up with different checks and balances to really focus in on never, for example, locking a brewer out of brewing, right? And like other inventory systems out there, if a brewer hasn't received their ingredients, they get locked out of brewing. Well, because from an accounting perspective and balance sheet perspective, you can't brew if the inventory doesn't exist. 
But in the real world, if it's 5 a.m., you have a brewer who's sitting in front of a hot mash-in vessel, and they're about to cut open a bag of grain to mash in, and having a system say, hey, you can't brew and lock you out just doesn't make sense. So instead, they're not going to stop what they're doing at 5 a.m. to track down a purchase order, invoice, enter that in, and then brew. They're just either not going to use the system, they're going to go to paper logs, or they're going to enter in fake information, right? So one of those things is going to happen. And so in Beer 30, we came up with this innovative way where a brewer is never locked out of brewing. They can still keep brewing. Retroactively, the accounting team or invoice team can come in and update things later, and it will backpopulate the information, right? So it's things like that, nuances of being in the industry and learning how that works. And other aspects of that, it's like when it comes to cost of goods tracking, understanding that beer isn't just a widget, right? Like in a lot of other inventory systems, uh, you can't transform a quote unquote shirt into pants, right? Like those are two completely different things. <laughs> At least well, you're not beer, supposed to. You're not supposed to. Yeah, exactly. Beer is a living, breathing, living, breathing thing, literally, quite literally, when you have yeah. yeast and things in it. And you can have this aspect where in the innovation side of Beer 30, you take a base beer, you split that up into different batches and different subsets and different varieties. I can take a base IPA and turn that into a pineapple IPA, a serrano pepper IPA, like other aspects that tie into that. And each of those have their own quality checkpoints, those own metrics, things like that. And being able to think about it from the real world's use case of how brewers will actually use this has really helped set us apart from other softwares in the industry, which really focused in on the quality, consistency, and data tracking from start to finish for all of that. We're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to ask Polkit about advice for other SaaS entrepreneurs building their businesses and also find out what his favorite beers are after this. Today's episode is sponsored by Champion Leadership Group. Get free growth tools and map out a growth plan to scale your SaaS business beyond $10 million. Travel with fellow SaaS entrepreneurs on your growth journey using a proven methodology that is mentor-guided, results-focused, and peer-supported. Celebrate wins and quickly rebound from setbacks to achieve profitable growth impact, and freedom. Unleash your SaaS growth at championleadership.com. Pulkit Agarwal, PKA. So Pulkit, tell me a little bit about advice that you might give to other SaaS entrepreneurs in building their businesses. Yeah, great question, Jeff. Um, I think the first thing that comes to mind is set a timeline as to when you need particular deliverables done. And so when I first started this, um, it was about January 2018 that I launched this beta version of the software. And my lease in San Diego was expiring May 2018 at the end of the month of May. Wow. And so I basically gave myself, by the time this lease needs to get renewed, I need to have a proper direction of where the software and company is going. Ideally, I have a paying customer at that point to prove that somebody wants this. And if I don't have it by then, it kind of indicates that this isn't something that's a good fit or maybe I'm doing something wrong, et cetera. But I need to have a pullout date by of saying, well, I'm moving on from this and go from there. And I think what I've realized the most with talking to other entrepreneurs and at this point I do different startup week talks, things like that, is some people just get very invested into the time and energy and things that they've put in that it almost becomes this element of like, constantly doubling down and being like, oh, it's just one more thing, one more thing, one more thing. And I know people personally that have gone maybe two, three, four years of building something out and not having a customer to show for it or a paying customer, right? And it's this aspect of 
if you set a hard deadline, I set that hard deadline where, look, if at the end of May didn't work out, I was going to move on from the fifth ingredient, apply for business school, and just go into something like that and have that next aspect of a career. And by mid-April, went to the Craft Brewers Conference, got validation from about 110 people from 70 breweries about, hey, is there interest in this? Are you excited? Like, what's going on? And it was just overwhelmingly so positive. I was like, great, I have like proven market fit. And then got the first paying customer as of May 1st. And I was like, awesome. Now somebody's willing to put money behind this. And so having those concrete deadlines really forced me to become innovative and scrappy for those couple months and, and go from there. So I think having a deadline is like the first key lesson that I would say for other entrepreneurs. That's really good. Yeah. Um, the next one that comes to mind is... Um, have a business model where you're able to really figure out if there's traction or not. And I think that's one of the key aspects that we've had to do and constantly are focused in on is the different modules and pricing and things associated with that. And so with that in mind, it becomes this aspect of, you know, you are able to go down this path of picking and choosing what you need from a pricing perspective, but don't overcomplicate it at the beginning. Right. Just get somebody willing to pay X amount of dollars for your service. For us, our first brewery was paying $250 a month, right? $250. That's it. But if somebody's willing to even put a couple of dollars, a couple hundred dollars towards the software, then you know, great, I have a paying customer, right? So the goal right. should be to try and figure out the business model to get the first paying customer as quickly as possible and then keep adapting, keep improving as time goes on and you get more information. The third thing that uh, really comes to mind is um, don't let perfection be the enemy of innovation. And I think that was one of the biggest things when I was originally starting this off. I spent weeks trying to build out the perfect brewing platform and the perfect things from all of my you know, years of experience at Ballast Point. And as soon as I visited the first brewery, they were like, oh, we do this completely different. We're a very small operation. Ballast Point was doing about 400,000 barrels a year. We do about 200 barrels a year. So we're really not the same. And that's when I realized like, wow, everything that I put into this, like I was on the right trend, but I was building it out for a really big brewery that I would have many more obstacles to go through as opposed to building and working my way up. And so quickly realized that the goal really needs to be to launch something, iterate it and keep adapting rather than trying to make it perfect the first time around. Because otherwise it would take weeks to months to years to launch something and it's still never going to be perfect. Right. 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 And so, so that I think was a, another big lesson that I have for entrepreneurs is don't let perfection be the enemy of innovation and keep building out from there as well. So how do you keep that innovation mindset? How do you continue to innovate? For us, a lot of it is our long-term vision of what's happening and for the industry as a whole and understanding like what are the areas that the industry needs that it may not have right now. And using that as a way to keep innovating cool new things. But then secondly, tying in with asking our customers, right? We Our product roadmap, I would say, is maybe about 80 to 90% driven by what customers tell us they want. And really diving in on that and saying, great, so you want this. Let's break this down. What do you, what do you want about it? Like, why do you want this? And, you know, breaking down that feedback and making that synthesis analysis happening of, great, this makes sense for the next steps. And so I think that's where, Jeff, you end up taking that information and focusing on innovation because you're innovating something that customers want 
and they're explicitly telling you we need XYZ. And so having customers drive that and then you having your own ideas and the own innovation side eventually will shift over where you're going to tap out on what customers know that they want. And then you're going to innovate on cool new things that you know that they need that they may not know that they need yet. And that's where the cool aspect of future innovation comes in. So get the building blocks in place so that way you can start doing other cool things with that information and data. I like that that it's uh, customer driven and really mm-hmm. paying attention to, to who it is, the size, uh, their influence, and then how it, how it resonates with the overall base. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What role have mentors played in your success? Uh, time and time again, all the time. Uh, mentors and mentors, I think, are one of the key aspects that have been influential time and time in our success. And I've been so fortunate of having mentors that are in the brewing industry, mentors that are outside of the brewing industry from different walks of life, from my high school days and college days and things like that. And even now, when I go back to San Diego, I have a list of people that I'm hitting up constantly to ask for feedback about, hey, this is what I'm doing. How does this sit? And honestly, one of the biggest mentors that I've had is my business partner, uh, Ryan Alice, who's co-founder in CTPO now, because he has you know more experience than I do in a lot of these aspects. And our energies are very much aligned where we're very opposite in a lot of ways. And I think it's that aspect of our strengths and weaknesses help each other out growing. And I think talking to him as well and brainstorming late night discussions, things like that, and having somebody as passionate and dedicated to this as me has been a huge aspect of having a mentor right of rightly available. And it's interesting because over the last year, as I've taken on more of a leadership role and building out the team and hiring particular people and like head of revenue ops, head of customer experience, things like that, even those individuals and even our engineers are mentors to me in different aspects of things because they all come from decades of experience in other industries, other places that it just helps me look at problems so differently, right? So you have different groups of mentors. You have the people that are, you know, very successful in different aspects of business. You have people that are, quote unquote, working for your company, but they can still be mentors as well, right, in different aspects. So it's been so cool to have this aggregation of people with so many experiences. And I just love learning from all these individuals and seeing how I can pick apart and pull things. And even going to the level of, you know, mentorship from my family, from my parents, my siblings, my, um, you know, uh, friends, college roommates, things like that. And so always being able to bounce ideas off of people. So I consider all those people helping as just key mentors in the fifth ingredients journey. I mean, sure, as a leader, I mean, you've developed a lot uh, in the, the company and uh, especially bringing on you know, employees and growing and, and really building out multiple areas. Um, you know, what leadership qualities are you continuing to work on? Uh, great question. So I actually, at the start of this year, um, hired an executive leadership coach. Um, and so it was one of those areas where I felt like I was out of my depth for sure. And um, I think really the, the the key areas of focus right now that I would have and have been focused on for you know the better part of the last six, seven months is really focused in on an element of curiosity and assuming positive intent from employees and curiosity and humility and asking for opinions. And if somebody says something, really diving in on, oh, like, why is that? Like, why do you want to approach it this way, right? And and learning, I think, how to step back from when it was just me, Ryan, and a couple of contractors that 
we had to be so involved and in, I, I had to be involved in every single little aspect of sales and customer experience and onboardings and demos and product and engineering that having to run with all those hats at all the time of learning now how to step back and trusting the team members that are in place that they actively want to do their job and actually want to see that success for the company that I think is the key element that ties in with that, right? So that's kind of where I think that that growth aspect of curiosity, humility, and trust all go hand in hand and even learning, you know, that splash of empathy that comes with it. And and it's really interesting of just like looking at even like my Briggs-Meyer personality uh, test or things like that, if you're familiar with that. And over the years, transitioning and seeing how that level of empathy has changed over time of, of becoming more, you know, open-minded and listening to people's solutions and problems that they're having and not just thinking about it as black and white, but gray areas and problems are coming up. How do we approach that together collaboratively? So I think, you know, those are all different traits that I've been focused on as a leader and having an executive coach is something I highly recommend when the time is right and you have the bandwidth to really focus in on getting to that next level, doing diligence. I, I interviewed eight different coaches before I found one that I really hit it off with and, and she has been amazing to work with on this. So really props to her and just props to the idea of needing help and reaching out for help when you did. That's great. So what, how does empathy and vulnerability, how does that play a role in leadership? Um, it's been a very fun aspect of learning how to manage people and motivate them and understanding how every single person is motivated by different aspects. And so even looking at my direct reports, they all have such different personalities. And so I wouldn't treat person A the same as person B in terms of how I'm communicating with them or how I'm trying to get them to do their particular actions. Yeah, we're all headed towards the same goal. But the empathy aspect comes in of understanding, well, I need to treat and talk to person A differently than person B and really diving in on what problems they're having, what are their roadblocks, and not just focusing on what I think is their roadblock, right? having them tell me what their roadblock is and working with them on it and being curious about, hey, well, why did this happen, right? Like, oh, there was this point of failure. I'm not blaming you. Let's, let's work together to troubleshoot why it happened. What do we learn from it? And what do we do to prevent this point of failure from happening again, right? So it's things like that that change the mentality that you have as a leader because you end up realizing that, and I've personally realized over the last year is, there's no way I'm going to get to the finish line that I have in mind or whatever end goal I have on my own. And I need the team in place that I can trust them and they can trust me that we have each other's backs and we're going to get there together and we're all focused on that same end goal. Yeah. Having that alignment is so important and knowing yeah. that, uh, you know, the other team members have your back and they know that you have, that you have theirs. So it's a real game absolutely. changer. Yeah, Absolutely. Well, of course, I have to ask the big question, and that is, you know, what is your favorite beer? Or maybe uh, style? <laughs> yeah, so I, I think my style is very seasonal. Um, I think that's kind of how it's it goes. Answer. Like over winter, like the winter time frame, I really do like darker stout beers and things like that, especially you start getting into, um, you know, over the fall season, you have like your um, Oktoberfest beers, things like that, which is very clean. You have your stouts. And then um, in general, I really do like a spicy beer that I think is one of my favorites. So um, 
when I was back at Ballast Point, one of my favorite beers, um, there was a Serrano Pale Ale. And so it'd be with Serrano Peppers, Pale Ale, nice crisp taste with some nice kick at the end. So really enjoy whenever I go out to different breweries, if there is a spicy beer, like there's a brewery in North Platte that, North Platte, Nebraska, that makes their jalapeno cream ale. One of my favorite beers, um, nice little spice kick to it. And cream ales in general are also really good. There's a brewery out in, um, in uh, Oregon called Pelican Brewing that does a um, an awesome uh, cream ale that they do, Kawanda cream ale. And it's just great. Um, and I think the key that I've realized is at this point, we work with hundreds of customers. Um, you go to a conference, you're tasting 15, 30, 40 different types of beers, styles of beers, different flavor profiles that I personally don't have a favorite. It's just good beer is good beer. And you just appreciate it from all of these different breweries and different styles. And for me, it's been so cool just trying it. And the best thing about it is if you try a beer you don't like, there's literally thousands of others right there for you to try <laughs> right, as well, right? right? So so you just try and just based on your mood, based on flavor profile, you just try what you like. And when you like it, just keep drinking it, right? It's like a fun way of approaching it where there are no favorites in this. It's just what's my mood and where is it going? Yeah. Well, when you said the Serrano pepper earlier, that's one of the things that I wrote down. Like I, I don't even know where that is, but I've got to find it. <laughs> yeah, a lot That's of really breweries, a lot of breweries do spicy beers. I, yeah. A lot of other breweries, like when I was at Bellas Point, the project that I ran was their nitrogen bottling and getting beer into nitrogen bottles and um, or nitrogen beer into bottles. And with that, that was a red velvet and red velvet stout beer. And so it was this element of like basically drinking a red velvet cake kind of thing. And it was a Valentine's Day release that we did. Wow. An amazing beer that's like an awesome dessert beer that was there back in the day. And um, the R&D program, the research and development program actually turned into like this imperial red velvet stout beer that uh, was even better, even, you know, creamier, getting into higher ABVs, more stout oriented. So it was very cool of like having those different flavors of like a Serrano pepper beer versus a, you know, dark beer versus a sweet beer. And what I tell people is when somebody ever tells me like, oh, I don't like beer. My response to that is, I, I understand where that you're coming from with it, but have you had a full assortment of beer where it's a full spectrum, right? You have, I, I, I personally didn't even know I liked beer until I had a Guinness for the first time. And prior to that, I'd had Bud Lights or things like that. And I was just like, this is not my style. But now appreciating in hindsight of like the, the spectrum of light beers to dark beers to hoppy beers to flavorful, spicy coffee beers, like the full spectrum that's out there where if you enjoy any of those spectrum aspects, there is some beer out there for you. You just haven't found it yet. And you just got to be willing to explore and see what's out there. If you really want to figure it out. Where can we learn more about the fifth ingredient beer 30 and you online? Yeah. So uh, you're more than welcome to follow me on LinkedIn. Um, definitely very active there um, on social media, um, Instagram, Facebook, just look up the fifth ingredient T H E. 5th and ingredient and then same thing applies for the website the fifth ingredient.com with a five and you'll figure it out and if you even search for like beer 30 fifth ingredient things like that you'll definitely find it all over google and it'll be good to go from there awesome and we'll make sure and link all of that in the show notes and look at i've really enjoyed our conversation thank you for being on the show yeah it was awesome thanks jeff for having me and looking forward to you know revisiting on this a few years from now and seeing just how the journey has continued to grow as well as a SaaS entrepreneur yes yes definitely we'll have to get together for a craft beer sometime absolutely sounds great but it Thank has you, to jeff. be from a brewery that is using beer 30. absolutely <laughs> i agree to that as well <laughs> all right
<laughs> Thanks. Cool. Cheers. Thanks again to PK for coming on the show and sharing your journey and insights. Learn more about PK, The Fifth Ingredient, and Beer 30 at thefifthingredient.com. Remember the five ingredients? Water, yeast, grain, sugar, and of course, the fifth ingredient is data. You know, I am blown away at the sophistication, precision, and speed of information. The industry has come so far incredibly fast, and it's solutions like this that are making that happen. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. As always, all links, highlights, resources, and full show notes are available at sasfuel.com. Please subscribe and follow us at sasfuel.com. Everyone who subscribes this week gets free beer next week. What else would it be, right? Open invite. You know, there's always free beer next week. It's kind of fun. Every once in a while, you see a sign that says free beer tomorrow. It's always tomorrow, right? Well, coming up Thursday, our SaaS Founder Expert Series, we have Irvin Ang, a master of lead generation and specifically gifted at driving leads through email. If you want more prospects and better engagement in the buyer journey, this is for you. And next week, our founder is Hugo Sanchez, founder and CEO of Threat. Hugo is on a mission to revolutionize the cybersecurity industry, protecting clients and SaaS applications like yours from threats known and unknown. So be sure to tune in for Irvin on Thursday and Hugo next Tuesday. And until then, as always, enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to SaaS Fuel. Full show notes for each episode, which includes a summary, key takeaways, quotes, and any resources mentioned, are available at sasfuel.com. Be sure to follow and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you're enjoying the content and getting value from these episodes, please leave us a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com slash sasfuel. We'll be sure to read these out on future episodes.